Hey everybody, it's Waterman. Before we get to the episode, we just wanted to take a moment to let you know about the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy, hosted by Izzy and Nicole. I'll let Nicole give you all the details, then we'll jump right into the episode. Hey there, teachers. Take your teaching practice to the next level with the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy. Our four-day in-person learning experience is designed to help you create engaging, student-centered lessons that are aligned with the latest research and best practices. With Mosaic Instructional Planning, you'll receive support for each day's activities and long-term planning success. Our system is designed to help you create lessons that are not only effective, but also fun and engaging for your students. We believe that learning should be experiential and hands-on. That's why our academy is designed to be interactive with plenty of opportunities for you to try out new teaching strategies and techniques. But the real magic of the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy is the community you'll join. You'll be part of a network of passionate educators from all over the world, sharing ideas, collaborating on projects, and building relationships that will last long after the academy ends. And when you complete the academy, you'll earn certification as a Mosaic Learning Architect, demonstrating your mastery of the latest teaching strategies and techniques. Join us today. Register at the link in our bio. Welcome to the only brother-sister podcast built for teachers, by teachers, dumplings over flowers. I'm the sister, Nicole. And I'm the brother, Izzy. And this podcast is here to take you on a backstage tour of our combined 50 years of experience teaching so that we can help you recognize and celebrate substance over appearance. Or dumplings Dumplings over over flowers. flowers. Yeah. Well, Waterman, spin the wheel. Hello again from Dallas, Texas. Look, I got my text. Oh, you do. And hello from New York, from the studio today. Yeah. So I just got back from University of Texas in Austin a couple days ago, dropped my daughter off there. Um, So I'm wearing the gear, the free shirt. It's got a credit union on the back, but I like the front at least. Um, I I have a feeling that it's the first of many free shirts that you'll be rocking from Yeah, I hear you. Um, So, but it reminded me of uh, something, you know, when you're um, gone west, young man, um, and here I am, and just kind of acclimating, you know, to different surroundings and settings. It was pretty interesting. And I want to bring up a thought, you know, during the podcast around my experience there at orientation. But first, we need to know about the topic. Waterman, what do we got? Hoof claw soup. Hoof claw soup. Hoof claw soup. Nothing like a homemade, steaming hot, at least, bowl and plate of hoof claw soup. (laughs) Uh, You probably should uh, let the audience know about what that could possibly be. Uh, Okay. Trigger warning. It's disgusting. Stop. No. I, I mean, I don't I wouldn't really know about the taste because I wasn't really willing to get in there all the way. Um, and maybe I had a couple of sips of it, but I don't remember. But hoof claw soup comes from a where would you ever buy? Where would you think that you get hoof claw soup? Um, um either, yeah. I don't know, in the in the <laughs> remotest jungles of 
Yeah. Wherever? Uh, no. The rainforest, no, no. maybe? In Abuela's house, in wherever? Yeah. No. Yeah. You get it in um, Queens, in Truth. Jamaica, Queens, at a pizza place whose main menu uh, slash decoration has a picture on the wall repurposed, DIY'd, recycled, with beautiful appetizing pictures of tomatoes in the sun. The Italy. Pizzas, Italy, Italy, a map of Italy, um, a collage, decoupage, if yeah. you will, on top of an old, apparently, portrait of a raven? It was like a ra yeah, raven or a crow or not even something majestic. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sleeping in Italy. It's, like, it's a trash bird, a seagull. Yeah. Covered in soot. So and we would be we the would head be peeking out. There's yeah. there had to be something with like you couldn't cover the eye or something, right? Like that would make sense. That was my I theory. Know. I don't know. All I know is they had um they had the how do you say baby? What was the, oh the, the Jesus Bam, Bambino Jesus uh was a um was a card also on their counter that they take. There was the so one. many wonderful things and Mobility people pieces. in that in that pizza place and on that corner. But um, the best revelation that we got there was uh, the healing power of a nice hearty bowl of hoof claw soup. It's yep. not called that. Nobody go anywhere and ask for that soup. We called it that because it was a. I don't know. Did you ask for it? Did you ask for the soup or like, did you say chicken soup? We thought it was chicken soup. Yeah. Like chicken, it was their version of chicken noodle soup. Um, <laughs> it was mostly minus noodles and it had a lot of stuff in it. Um, and I would have to, and I absent my, I just didn't even think twice. That's I think what made this so funny. Uh, yeah, that because we both got soup. We weren't feeling well. It was like the winter. It was a slushy, <laughs> snowy day trekking through under the subway did, trestle. Did you get hit with something then? In, um, <laughs> oh, the my rain. God. That was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like a whole a whole uh, ice uh, storm came down on your head. I forgot about that. That was mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of day we were having. A big icicle spike lands in your hair. Yeah. And um, we go to get lunch and, you know, there's only so many slices of pizza you can really have after a while. And all oh, that, let's get cozy and feel better. Let's get a bowl of soup. Yeah. And it was broth for sure. Um, yeah. But that's where certainly Gwyneth Paltrow would stop at the the sight of it. But it's huh. it had a bunch of stuff, vegetables, whatever, you know, like orange things. I'm assuming yeah. carrots, right? Yeah, but at the bottom of the bowl, what was making it so delicious were the remains of a massacre. <laughs> yeah, let's just say it was very authentic, right? So authentically, so, bones and yeah. grizzle and joints of some kind, and what I'm imagining to be a hoof. Yep. In fact, if you if you check out the links below in our in our podcast, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. Waterman just lost his mind. We'll have the uh, recipe. However, there may be an image or two of hoof call soup. Oh, there definitely the is. Well, no, there is. And we can link them somewhere. Um, but uh, I because started the funny part about hoof claw soup mm -hmm. is that when I when my 
spork hit <laughs> whatever <laughs> tendon I hit. Um, I was like, oh God, no. And you were like, what are you not going to finish that? <laughs> so we you had know, at the end of the day, you're going to eat that? You're going to finish that? A pile of like, <laughs> I don't even know, hoofs and claws. Yeah. A pile of them next to the bowl. And just like, no problem, slurping up the goodness, you know, just eating the yeah. soup. And I was just horrified, like, oh my God. Yeah, I, well, I, 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 I was know. back many days and um, very interesting. You know, I would watch a lot of uh, Spanish soap operas in that in that uh, boat that people played. Yes, Generalissimo. So with that reminds it great, me. It was a great place, really, really good food. But that was that was a crazy experience. Yeah. But what it really um, reminds me of and, and I think I'm very thankful, let's say that my nature is to be comfortable in, in settings that are obviously a little off um, and a little out there for what maybe I'm used to or what, you know, uh, how we grew up or whatever. Cheers to your um, vulnerability. Oh, thank you. Um, but really, if you think about it, when you're talking about being involved in a community and like we were yeah. at that school for a number of years. Um, we spent a number of many, if not, I'd say 80 to 90% of our lunches uh, were, would be to walk there. It was the closest, most convenient, and most recognizable, uh, regardless of how things were created. Um, and really got into the community um, and really got into uh, st serving that community and, um, and really seeing them, uh, and, and getting to know the, the owners and, and you know what, there were language barriers and it didn't matter. Um, they knew our faces, they knew our hellos, they knew our smiles, they knew our, you know, our, in fact, after a while, our tastes, um, you know, could, I would always get a little side of sauce and they started putting that you know on the side kind of religiously and, you know, and, and it really is an important piece of the teaching puzzle when you are. Uh, working in a neighborhood or in an environment, um, it's it's not enough to try to think about being culturally responsive and um, and you know attending to social emotional components of the teaching process for our students, but to really kind of feel the neighborhood and get a real uh, sense and and taste, if you will. Oh, uh, I will not. Uh, uh, what? Was awesome. <laughs> okay, I'll uh, allow it. Yeah, a little taste of the culture. Um, and, and to kind of, you know, assimilate to that. So and, how do you, um, uh, my question is something that I've always had to grapple with. In fact, how long did we spend finding lighting that would make me look like a human colored person-ish? Um, okay. A long time, right before this, right? So I am, I am a pale, pale, pale white girl. I mean, that's, that is what it is. And I've had some situations in my teaching where, um, maybe by first glance, I wouldn't be the, the person yeah. that you think would be the person who wrote the entire curriculum for the first time ever for African-American literature in the high school where I worked Dang. and taught the first that's baby. Huh? That's cool. I said, pat that back. That's a good one. 
Yeah, well, it was a scary one, but it was really needed. And global literature in a school that was at the time, I don't know what it is now, but I'm sure it's similar. But at the time, it was um, the the population was 28% Hispanic. Right. And um, I think the percentage of black students was in the 40s, something like that. And they had no African-American history, African-American literature, you know, nothing like that. So I actually teamed up with our social studies um one of our social studies teachers and wrote the curriculum for the literature class. And I, I was only able to do it and pull that off because in our school, and this will get to a question for you. In our school, it was um, the seniors got to take elective classes for their English classes. Okay. So when you're, when you teach seniors, you, there's a moment at the end of the year where you go into the junior classes and try to sell your electives. Right. Oh, right, right, right. That's so cool. kids will want to sign up for your class. So I I taught poetry, uh, the the canon of poetry, you know, expanding the canon of poetry, and it was like all rock and roll songs and whatever. Great fun times, um, and it was, but it was pretty obviously like, oh, this is going to be cool. We'll look at music and poetry, you know, whatever. Yeah. I go in and I'm like, hey guys, um, how many of you want to take African American literature <laughs> with me? And at the time, um, I had a different last name that was much more uh, generic, I'm going to say, much yeah. more, um, not that, you know, Galanti would give me any cred among the black community, that was, but. That was mom and dad adopted you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Long go. before. Um, I was alone in, in the orphanage eating hoofclaw soup and. Yeah. They came along and saved me. Yeah. Making of course, yeah. <laughs> with out of my fellow uh, earn a bowl of that. Orphan. Yeah. Anyway, I Go. had to really be conscious about the decisions that I made, especially when I taught that class, because um, the the inaugural round of that class was led and filled and led by um, one of my favorite people in the world, whose name I will not use, but I will call him Jack. Wow. And Jack, um, I can't call him Jack. I got to call him something closer to his real name. <sighs> I'm going to say his name was uh, Zion. Okay. With an Zion. A? <laughs> no. So Zion, yeah, that's better. That's him. He um, was my student for, I don't know, every year that he was in school, including the extra one. And um, for a good reason, because I, it was very clear that there was, there were some issues there um, learning wise and sure. especially with language processing and um, reading and writing. Right. So um, over the years, I mean, this is a, this is a pod in itself, the story of Zion, but um, he made me do a made me do a rap battle with him. It was a whole thing. But anyway, he um, brought along the whole class, the whole senior class, to African American literature and filled it. And there was waiting lists, and there was whatever. And the first right. day, I, I just like, what do you do when you're, you know, how do you assimilate? This is my question. How do you go beyond being culturally responsive to being culturally maybe like embedded to the extent right. that you can be without tipping the scales into culturally insensitive? Right. Right. So for me. I mean, I know my answer and I know what I did. Tell me this is my question now. But it's your question now. Oh, wow. Um, 
Well, there are universal languages, right? And there are universal things. So not to mathify this, but I was a math teacher uh, primarily. And so, you know, a lot of times it was uh, the assimilation into culture was just to really ensure that there was um, application that could be varied in such a way that it made sense um, culturally. And, and we didn't, I didn't overplay it and I didn't underplay it, but I was, I was always sensitive to it and I didn't try to especially make it seem like I was trying to, you know, change names to cult that, that to me is just as insensitive as anything. You mean like when it says like Sally has three apples and you change it to like, yep. Shaquanda has three apples to, you know, Jose or, you know, just like, to me, that's like, that's as insensitive and and um misrepresenting uh the diversity inside a culture as any all right and which is just as bad so the way i would do that was to cause the students to personalize those experiences put your own name into it and then i would use names in the class that were obvious and and common and to them um and so when i'm thinking about it first of all just thinking about it is is step one Realizing nice. that it's necessary to to create a personal experience um, that can be, or even that's the questions. Then is to say, well, what would this sound like in in your? Because that's another form of personalizing it. Uh, what can you what can you associate this with? Um, one of the most important pieces of teaching algebra or any maths is to kind of interpret the language of numbers into words. And, and how does the representation of words represent numbers and vice versa? Um, and so, but, but a lot of times we overlook all of those things because we're thinking about the content um, and the, the nouns of the content. So like, uh, it's a little more dicey in English class where like your opinion is the answer or... Right. You know, where you're thinking about, like, how do you feel about motivation? How do you, how do we learn character if not by looking at characters, right? So <laughs> in English class, it's a little, little more dicey. So for me, what I did and what I've now taught others to do is to practice those two things that I love, empathy mm-hmm. and vulnerability. Because yep. you really shouldn't and couldn't, and especially not in a way uh, that you're trying to maybe transcend a little bit, cultural responsiveness or awareness. Um, you really can't do that without being vulnerable enough to put your own experience out there first. Right. And then you can, you know, be open to having the kind of empathy that the person you're trying to be open with will allow for, right? So Absolutely. Um, I love that you're talking about even in math, you know, personalizing these things because that's really what it is. That's what it comes down to. We talk a lot in schools now about identity in many mm-hmm. different ways, gender identity, sexual orientation and identity. And, you know, identity is linked to so many of these really um, volatile social and yeah. political oh, issues. Oh, sure. So when you're thinking about identity, there's nothing more personal than that. So for me, I was like, hi, everyone. Welcome to African-American literature. And I know that you're probably wondering why the whitest white teacher you've ever seen is teaching your class. 
And they all went, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And of course, uh-huh. my, my little Zion said, hey, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> She's good. She's cool. Whatever he said, you know, he would like mm-hmm. calling everyone to order. Um, but, you know, beyond that, it was like, yeah, I, um, I am doing that because I saw that we needed to know about that. Mm-hmm. I, I was wondering why we didn't have that. So I thought, let me make that. And I've been on an interesting journey y'all figuring out what, what content to choose and all that. So what I can bring to you is my own experience. Well, here's the experience as a great teacher, right? Great teachers either do this or make everyone think they're doing this. And that is that they are experiencing the content with and in front of the kids in real time. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't need to have been an African to experience the content, the history, the 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 incredible um, nuance, and and all the things that um, have helped shape other cultures that came out of that those cultures, and and I can really get excited about it and and inspire others to do the same. Yeah, and, that, I, and I think that that's that's true and very pretty widely recognized. That's like reader response theory. Louise Rosenblatt, you bring to the table like your own self and make connections that way and share those things and and all that. But I always get all researching on the podcast and then I remember that I I used to like know things and they come out when I need them to come out. You know, that's good. Read a response Um, there. But that's that's pretty pretty widely done. But I think the next level of that is to say, here's... um, something that is controversial, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to bring to the table my experience of, um, what, what it was like growing up in my family, you know, with my grandmother and my culture and whatever. But when you're talking about like, um, things like why, uh, the history of like drama in African-American culture in America as being, you know, muddled by the presence of like blackface in, in, drama like that's a different thing that's a different thing and and to be able to say i'm gonna learn about this with and in front of you and all that is great but you also have to have an awareness of i know that i'm going to experience this in a very different way whether you say that or not and sometimes it's better to not right i think for me um but it's so is that number one for for teachers trying to consider you know, something like that, approaching a sensitive topic. Yeah. Um, it's to, uh, it's to look at the sensitivity and document, you know, I, my go-to is always to document something. If I feel nervous about something or scared about it or, um, worried about mm-hmm. the outcome, my inclination I found over the years is to document. Um, and sometimes that's, give me that's, an example when our mother had um, breast cancer, my way of dealing with that was, okay, we're going to write down this whole journey. I shaved her head in front of the computer camera so that she could watch and we could be strong and we can get your head shaved and whatever. And I took a zillion pictures of her and I'm like, look, now you're a, you're a shaved, shaved head model. And, you know, let's, that's really, mom, how are you feeling right now? I would like interview her. And can I tell you something? My computer no. erased every single oh, no. one of those videos. 
you got canceled by your computer. Listen you, to this. You were- except my computer, I, I couldn't, I don't have any of that footage except for the video that I took when she was ringing the bell, like in victory uh, in her last chemotherapy uh, treatment. I like that. How great is that? Big but anyway, up. that's an example. You know, my immediate reaction was like, oh my God, I'm so scared. Let me get every minute of this down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously I'm a, I'm a very reading and writing based person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just my inclination anyway, but it's, um, when you're thinking about that as applicable to teaching, especially mm-hmm. for me and especially in English and like, don't roll your eyes at me the way that I did at you when you mathify something. Yeah. Um, but you know, for teachers, it's like, you have to have that moment. You know, I was actively going through some terrible times while I was teaching. And, um, when I was writing with my students, you know, Uh which is just something that I always did naturally long before we ever, you know, crystallized that into a methodology. Um, I would write really terrible poetry about like what I was going through and I would share it with them because they have to know that that's how you do that. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything but guiding these students into understanding how to engage with reading and writing. Yeah. So we got back to, um, in our last two minutes here, we got back to the idea of with and in front of, right? So authentic experiences are from the practitioner level. Mm-hmm. And you know, never taught any middle school math classes that I've ever known a real mathematician. Um, and so, and so we are all just kind of figuring out how to, um, be assimilate to this thing called mathematics. And even as a teacher of math, it was a teacher. I was a teacher of skills. I was a teacher of problem solving. I was a teacher of uh, ways in which we can use uh, different experiences from around the globe for, for forever. How did Pythagoras come up with, you know, the theorem? How did this, you know, even evolve into something useful and, and kind of put ourselves into those positions. Um, and so I see in terms of assimilating the culture, this incredible parallels there. Like I don't need to have been, and this could be controversial, ladies and gentlemen, I don't need to have been or be a, um, a uh, let's say, a part of a culture from birth to help move and advance cultural thinking inside of that culture. Um, and so, in other words, you painted yourself in this picture of um, a, a white woman in this African-American study world um, and, and how important it was to to just kind of be like, hey, I'm in the middle of this and I'm, I, I, have, I don't want to bend it in a certain way, um, but I'm going to present this stuff and, and the material. And you had some support from, from your supporting cast there, which is great because obviously. Yeah, my seven uh, foot black friend was a really great <laughs> supporting no, cast. Helpful, helpful. Thanks, Mr. Johnson. Yeah. So, so that, that's kind of where I'm going with that. And, um, and the idea that we can feel very confident in stepping into the shoes of, of someone who facilitates learning and understanding of skills and of, of ideas that, that form new thoughts and form culture. You know what um, I think too? The middle of it. 
I think even just the approach, you know, Mm -hmm. that's where we started with the soup, right? Like you were like, oh, hey, cool. Whatever this is, I'm going to eat it, right? To to be able to approach is a skill that we want teachers to learn. You know, my, my message in that is like, you can learn how to be vulnerable like that. That will teach you empathy that will, you know, you have to start, you have to approach, you have to pick out the elbows and put them on the side of your bowl and, um, keep eating your soup. There you go. I think for the kids too, it's the idea of engaging with something like that, that is sometimes scary and teachers think that they have no control over that and they don't. You know, like, oh, I can't do that because I don't know what they're going to say. And then what if they say this? And what if they say that? And I think maybe the answer to that is kind of like, well, you know what you're going to say. Or maybe you don't, you know, but it's the approach. And that's what makes teaching scary. So let me bring this full circle in the last minute. I said Why do you keep saying imaginary times? Okay. So in our, you know, before we cut to commercial, um, let me just say that, um, that I started with saying another imaginary thing, which was I'm wearing this Texas shirt and I have a story about it, but now oh, I do. Hey. Yeah. And now I do. Um, we, we all, all the parents met in the, uh, the gym, uh, where the women's volleyball team won the national championship, I might add, uh, which is pretty amazingly cool, especially for me and being a volleyball dad. Um, so, but that's the side note of the story. Glad you clarified. <laughs> yeah, For me, and being, you, a, being a setter all my life in women's volley, volleyball. <laughs> um, so, so they had all of the disciplines line up um, after this initial kickoff meeting. And, um, and we will, my daughter is majoring in film. So we were in the communications department. So, all right, all, if you're in the communications, you know, go find their sign. The people are holding signs up and, and stuff. And I, and I carefully and on purpose waited in the back to see where the interest was, where all the, you know, now University of Texas, big tech school, there was a ton of engineering. There was a ton. The shortest line, the teacher. Education, shortest lines. And, I, and A, it was obviously, you know, like being who we are, like it was noticeable. But B, I think it comes back to the, um, the, the shaky ground that it yeah. is. Absolutely, and and it's so undefined in its in its um, in its ideas at this point. Um, And so, one of them, I think, there is a discovery. And if you are a teacher listening, um, this is a really important discovery um, that I I don't even think I can connect with in like one or two thoughts here. But this type of podcast and the thinking that went on here, I think, is really important because if we don't consider um, and, and really put ourselves in a place uh, in a different standing in a different place, then our opinion's going to come out. It's shaky ground. Our fears are going to come out. That's shaky ground. Our apprehension to, to move content forward in, in ways that are important to kids is going to come out, and that's shaky ground. So how do we stabilize the position? Um, there are some great tips and thoughts inside of this podcast that my wonderfully well-lit sister just brought to light. So um, really cool stuff. All that for, and a bowl of soup, huh? Mm, mm-hmm. No? No? Yep. Okay. I thought it was good. No, it's, it's all that and a bowl of soup. There you go. I kind of, 
I mean, listen, we've got some t-shirts. Um, and so look Do for a bio um, on our- Stop putting out links. <laughs> on it. If you go to our podcast on Instagram and you look for the links- Oh, dear you God. chance to purchase the hoof claw soup shirt. Um, or the recipe have, or the apron. I'll make that into an apron. Yes, all the above. The recipe card- um, so we have a package with a special package right now, uh, running for 4th of July. We can, it's it like a hoof and yeah. a claw, like the pot holders. I, I think, yeah. you know, where the oven mitts, a hoof and a oh. claw. Oh yeah. Hello. Love that. Love that. Um, yeah. You also can find, um, the Griffin, um, plush, um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, imagine a little That'd be three. Great. Griffin plush. Um, poor Griff lost a leg. Um, I don't know if the audience knew that. I don't think so. I don't think so. But um, yeah, sure did. All right. Until next time. Until next time. Hey, everybody. This is the unseen but ever-present Waterman. Thank you for listening to Dumplings Over Flowers. Our current plan is to have new episodes every other week, so be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube or follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find us on YouTube or on social by searching Dumplings Over Flowers or at Dumplings Pod. That's at Dumplings P-O-D. Also, don't be afraid to leave a comment on our YouTube channel. Your comments, questions, or stories may very well inspire the conversation in our next episode. If you would like to know more about our cloud-based lesson planning platform, you can visit mosaicip.com. And if you're interested in signing up for the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy, you can get more information and register online at mosaicip.com forward slash MLA. That's mosaicip.com forward slash MLA. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.